0: Good morning again. If you're new or newer to the church, my name is Josh Rhodes and I'm the pastor of ministries. Uh, So good to be able to worship with you and share communion. Today we're continuing our summer series called Timeline, and we're in week eight. We have two more to go, and if you've missed any in this series, it's been very helpful. I would encourage you to go back and catch up. But today, We're going to be looking at the life of David, a very familiar Bible character that many of you know a lot about, but I'll tell you this week as I've been studying and preparing, I have seen so many new insights into his life that I really believe we need to hear right now. So glad you guys are here today. Let's take a moment and pray. And then we'll jump in. God, thank you for all that we have already experienced today. As Bruce mentioned, in community with you and with each other. Thank you for your word. God, we believe that it is alive. We believe that it is active. And we believe that you want to speak to us through it today. I pray that we would have our ears and our hearts open and ready to apply the truth that you give to us today. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. Like many of you, I had the opportunity to go to camps growing up. Uh, Show of hands if you're in the room, camp, but some, some kind of camp. So much fun. When I was 9, 10, 11, and 12, I went to a camp called Salt Run Bible Camp in a little town called Brilliant, Ohio, not far from Weirton, West Virginia, up in the Panhandle. And if you've been to a camp like this, you know there's typically one girl's dorm, a boy's dorm, a mess hall, a meeting room, and then two of the most disgusting outhouses you've ever seen in your life, right? That is one of these camps, but we loved it. And, and I will tell you that even though it was a, you know, a church kind of Bible camp, um, I did have some other, um, I guess you could call them motivations, I found my first girlfriend at that camp at the age of nine. And um, you might laugh, but it was real and it was serious. Um, we played bad, uh, not badminton, but the uh, the one that spins around, tetherball, is that the one? I, I bought a Twix and I shared it with her, left and right Twix. And at the end of camp, we vowed to be together forever, so we exchanged phone numbers, went home and would hide with the cordless telephone, that was a thing, and would call her, you know, I don't know what nine-year-olds talked about, but about three weeks later, my mom confronted me with our phone bill, and she said, Josh, do you know anything about these long-distance phone calls to Martins Ferry, Ohio? I had racked up around $75 of long distance in, I don't know, a few weeks, and it was at that point my mom ended our relationship. It was done. So if you're out there watching, I'm sorry. That was not me, but that was Salt Run. And then from the years of 13 to 18, 13, 14, all the way to 18, went to an incredible camp called the Wilds in North Carolina, and it was wild. Uh, They had the zip line from hillside to hillside. They had the blob in the lake and paintball and hiking. It was so much fun, so many great memories from the Wilds. And as I look back on Salt Run and the wilds, I mean, it was a blast, and I have so many great memories. But what was most special about those camps was how it helped me grow close with God. Because at those camps, there was always a speaker, and they loved the Bible. You could tell it wasn't just a book, it was alive. And they would share from the the Bible and and we loved it. And they would challenge us to read the Bible on our own during the week. And, And we would memorize Bible verses. And I loved how close I felt to God through those camps. It reminds me of a verse from James 4 that says, draw near to God and he'll draw near to you. I felt that way. I felt close to God all through those camps. And maybe you would call it like a mountaintop experience. And I would imagine a number of you have had mountaintops with God, maybe when you first became a Christian or were baptized or began going to church or or began reading the Bible for the first time or the first time you had Christian friends or the the first time you were taking big steps of faith or an answer to prayer. These things create a closeness with God that's awesome. And maybe you're in the room or on the other side of the camera and you say, that's where I'm at today. That's great. That's great. But a lot of us aren't because eventually after those camps and other experiences, you kind of come down from the mountain and God doesn't feel as close as he once did. Maybe that's where you are. Maybe you are a believer, but you don't feel close to God. You feel quite distant. You're not sure if he's hearing your prayers. You're not seeing him at work in your life. And I would imagine there's a number of you as well who this whole talk of mountaintops or closeness or relationship is just foreign to you because you're not quite sure if God is real, let alone if he knows you or loves you. So today, wherever you are, whether it's mountaintop or valley, high or low, believer, skeptic or somewhere in between, I truly am thankful that you're with us today Because we're going to take a a deep look at this guy named David, who I think understands what, what we want to talk about. Specifically, I want to make the case that you can be close to God when you face a challenge like he did. He faced a really big challenge, and you can still be close to God when you're facing a challenge, whether that's relational, financial, in your health taking steps towards fostering, whatever that challenge might be in your life, you can be close to God in something that feels really, really big. You can also be close to God when you fail big time. We're gonna see that in David's life, that when you blow it, you lie, you steal, you cheat, whether it's criminal, you lost your reputation, lost a job, lost a relationship, but you did something that you're ashamed of You wish you could take back. I want to help convince you from God's word today that you can still be close to him in that. And then finally, you might just say, my life is falling apart. The wheels are coming off. Life as you know it is gone. And you're trying to figure out how can I be close to God in the midst of this? I believe you can. So let's jump into the life of David. We first meet him in 1 Samuel chapter 16. And he is a very familiar character to us. Uh, On our timeline series that we're in, he he would have been after the judges, which we talked about last week, and then right at the beginning of the kings. It would have been 1040 B.C. to 970 B.C. He lived 70 years. In a way that I like to remember where David fits is just 1,000 B.C. is a good marker, which was 1,000 years before Christ. So that's where David was. And there is a lot in Scripture about him. In fact, as you might guess, the the most popular name in the Bible is Jesus. He was mentioned 1,310 times, but David comes in second place with 974. So that's like some Bible trivia you can pull out and look impressive somewhere. I don't know. Moses was number three, by the way. And he's woven all throughout the Scripture, and, and as we've talked in this series, there are amazing connections between these Old Testament stories in Jesus, especially with David. Let me give you just a, a few of them quickly. They were both born in Bethlehem, a small little town from the family line of Judah. In fact, David is mentioned in Jesus' genealogy in the very first verse of the New Testament. Matthew 1, 1 says, the historical record of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. They were both 30 years old when they kind of were thrust into the spotlight. David was 30, Jesus was 30 when he began his public ministry. David was a shepherd and Jesus was called the good shepherd. Shepherd. David, crowned king at 30, dies in Jerusalem. Jesus begins his ministry at age 30, dies and is crucified in Jerusalem. And then in Revelation, the Bible says that that Jesus is the lion from the tribe of Judah. He's the king of kings, lord of lords, and his kingdom will have no end. All of these connections I find fascinating. And strengthens my faith. So that is a little bit about David. And then when we find him in this 1 Samuel 16, he's a young shepherd and he is anointed to be the future king. He's described as someone as a man after God's own heart, which keep that in mind because that'll be important for later. Described as someone as a man after God's own heart. So he is anointed and chosen to be the next king after Saul. The other thing from chapter 16 is he was a skilled musician. And King Saul had a lot of problems and they they wanted someone to play music for him to soothe him. And David was chosen, brought into Saul's inner circle and becomes his armor bearer. Now, I don't know if you grew up in church or Sunday school or any of that. But at least for me, when I think of David, like young David, I think of like, I don't know, probably about this tall, wearing probably a white robe with no stains, out in a field with like some beautiful little sheep that are like licking his hand and then maybe a guitar or a harp or something, right? That's just kind of like the image at least that I have in my mind. That could not be further than the truth. (laughs) 1618 describes him this way as a young man. He is also a valiant man, a warrior, eloquent, handsome and the Lord is with him. What guy wouldn't want to be described like that? This is young David. He was strong. He was a bad dude. So from there, let's launch in to the challenge that he faced. 17 verse 3. The Philistines were standing on the hill, and the Israelites were standing on the other hill with a ravine between them. Then a champion named Goliath from Gath came out from the Philistine camp. He was, check this out, nine feet, nine inches tall, and wore a bronze helmet and bronze-scale armor that weighed 125 pounds. There was bronze armor on his shins, and a bronze sword was slung between his shoulders. His spear shaft was like a weaver's beam, and the iron point of his spear weighed 15 pounds. He was a warrior. He was strong. He was a champion. I was reading on Wikipedia this week that the tallest man alive right now is a man in Turkey who's eight foot two inches, eight two inches. Goliath would be a foot and a half taller than this guy who's alive right now. And I don't know what image comes to mind, but for me, when I read that, I can't help but think of someone like Shaquille O'Neal, who used to play basketball, like covered in armor, covered in weapons, in an octagon like UFC fight. Just a frightening depiction of this real guy. Verse 8 says, He stood and shouted to the Israelite battle formations. Why do you come out to line up in battle formation, he asked them. Am I not a Philistine, and are you not servants of Saul? And then he throws down a challenge. Choose one of your men and have them come down against me. If he wins in the fight against me and kills me, we'll be your servants. But if I win against him and kill him... Then you'll be our servants and serve us. Then the Philistines said, I defy the ranks of Israel today. Send me a man so we can fight each other. When Saul and all Israel heard these words from the Philistine, they lost their courage and were terrified. Cursing Israel, cursing the one true God and he did this for 40 days. Can you imagine Being on the other side of Israel and seeing this warrior cursing you, cursing your God. But there was no one who was willing to fight him. No one except David. No one except David. He went to King Saul in verse 32. David said to Saul, Don't let anyone be discouraged by him. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. But Saul replied, you can't fight this Philistine, you're just a youth, and he's been a warrior since he was young. David answered Saul, your servant has been tending his father's sheep. Whenever a lion or a bear came and carried off a lamb from the flock, I went after it, struck it down, and rescued the lamb from its mouth. If it reared up against me, I would grab it by its fur, strike it down, and kill it. Your servant has killed lions and bears. This uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, for he has defied the armies of the living God. Then David said, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of the Philistine. Saul said to David, Go, and may the Lord be with you. He makes his case to Saul and says, Look, I got this. So Saul, in in my opinion, is like, All right, good luck, kid." So it says that he begins to put his armor on David and he's piling it on and David said, I can't walk in this, I'm not used to this. So he told Saul, I'm good, I've got my slingshot. Now, if you've got kids or you can think back to like that little slingshot, my son Levi has one that sometimes gets him in trouble. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about an ancient weapon, That has been used all throughout history, known as a shepherd's sling or a rock sling. And this is what it would probably have looked like. And they were extremely popular because they were cheap to make, they were lightweight, and ammunition was everywhere. So I was leaving this morning and and found this rock in my landscaping, and they would have slung rocks as big as a baseball. And someone who was skilled would have been able to sling that 60 to 100 miles an hour with several hundred feet accuracy. So, I'm thinking like a major league baseball pitcher, you know, throwing a 100-mile-an-hour strike, that's how fierce. In fact, there was a shepherd's sling found in King Tut's tomb, who lived about 300 years before David. This, this has been all, used all throughout history, these slings, very fierce, very accurate, Weapons. So David knew that he had what he needed. So the Bible says that he grabbed five smooth stones. He would only need one. And in verse 45, it says this, David said to the Philistine, you come against me with dagger, spear, and sword. But I come against you in the name of Yahweh of hosts, the God of Israel's armies. You have defied him today. The Lord will hand you over to me. Today I will strike you down, cut your head off, and give the corpses of the Philistine camp to the birds of the sky and the creatures of the earth. Then all the world will know that Israel has a God, and his whole assembly will know that it is not by sword or by spear that the Lord saves. For the battle is the Lord's. He will hand you over to us. When the Philistine started forward to attack him, David ran quickly to the battle line to meet the Philistine. David put his hand in the bag, took out a stone, slung it, and hit the Philistine on his forehead. The stone sank into his forehead, and he fell on his face to the ground. David defeated the Philistine with a sling and a sword. Even though David had no sword, he struck down the Philistine and killed him. Why was David able to go toe-to-toe with a giant? The text tells us, he was able to remember the times that God was with him when he faced difficult circumstances. He said, my God rescued me from the lion. He rescued from me from the bear. He'll do it again. And then notice he wasn't focused on Goliath, the challenge. He was focused on God who would fight his battle for him. And when we face challenges, which we all do, our tendency is to forget what God has done for us in the past, And we also fixate on the problem, which for me produces worry, anxiety, and fear. But when we lift our eyes to God, it will produce peace and courage. So again, you can be close to God when you face a challenge. You can be close to God when you face a challenge. And you can also be close to God when you fail big time. Now, after David defeated Goliath, he became quickly popular. His fame began to grow with the people, and Saul's hatred began to grow even more. And what we find through the rest of 1 Samuel is just this crazy relationship with King Saul, who was always trying to kill him. Eventually, in chapter 31, he does die. And in 2 Samuel chapter 5, David is crowned king, and I want to read that to you. 5 verse 3. So all the elders of, of Israel came to the king at Hebron. King David made a covenant with them at Hebron in the Lord's presence, and they anointed David king over Israel. David was 30 years old when he began his reign. He reigned 40 years. In Hebron, he reigned over Judah seven years and six months, and in Jerusalem he reigned 33 years over Israel and Judah. So, now Crazy King Saul is gone. He's finally got this promised position where he was anointed as a boy. God has been with him. He was a man after God's heart. Chapters 6 and 7 and 8 and 9 and 10 describe battles that he won, a covenant that God made with him. His career was up and to the right, we might say. But then in chapter 11, he did what all of us have done. He failed. And in his case, he failed big time. Chapter 11, verse 1. In the spring, when kings march out to war, David sent Joab with his officers and all Israel. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah, but David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and strolled around the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing, a very beautiful woman. So David sent someone to inquire about her and reported, this is Bathsheba, daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. David sent messengers to get her, and when she came to him, he slept with her. Now, she had just been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Afterwards, she returned home. The woman conceived and sent word to inform David, I am pregnant. So instead of being out to war with his men, he takes a woman who was not his own, abuses her, impregnates her. Now he has to cover it up. So he decides to bring Uriah home from the battle, and he tries to get Uriah to go sleep with his wife to make it look like it was their baby, but Uriah won't do it. He said, I can't sleep with my wife. All the men are at war. So David's got to cover it up in the worst way imaginable. The next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In the letter, he wrote, "'Put Uriah at the front of the fiercest fighting, "'then withdraw from him so that he's struck down and dies. "'When Joab was besieging the city, "'he put Uriah in the place "'where he knew the best enemy soldiers were. "'Then the men of the city came out and attacked Joab, "'and some of the men from David's soldiers fell in battle. "'Uriah the Hittite also died.'" It starts with his lust, grows into adultery, Lies everywhere, and ultimately murder. So David was thinking he was going to get off scot free, but God sent a prophet named Nathan. And his sin is exposed, and Nathan and David is confronted with what he's done. Now it doesn't indicate exactly what was going on in his heart and mind in this chapter, but David, in the Psalms, wrote a chapter number fifty-one that's called the Prayer of repentance in this psalm is about what he did it's about his murder it's about the adultery and we're going to read it together and i just want to kind of pause just for a moment to say i think some of you need psalm 51 today the content of this psalm is something that you need to hear if you have failed big time last night last week last month or 20 years ago and you feel the shame and the weight of what you have done, whether it's known or unknown, you need to hear this psalm. And and you can follow along and read it, either in your heart or even out loud. So Psalm 51 says this. Be gracious to me, God. According to your faithful love, according to your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion Wash away my guilt and cleanse me from my sin for I am conscious of my rebellion and my sin is always before me against you. You alone I have sinned and done this evil in your sight so you are right when you pass sentence. You are blameless when you judge. Indeed, I was guilty when I was born. I was sinful when my mother conceived me. Surely you desire integrity in the inner self and you teach me wisdom deep within. Purify me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Turn your face away from my sins and blot out my guilt. God, God, please create a clean heart for me and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You hear the brokenness in David's heart. What have I done because Uriah, whose wife he took and killed, wasn't just some ordinary guy. He was one of David's mighty men. He was one of his closest soldiers. This would have been a friend who he had killed. And David believed that God would forgive him. David believed that he would be made clean. Like a shirt that has been stained with mud or ink and is just, it is just gone. It's like going into the wash loaded with bleach That shirt comes out clean. David believed that that could happen for him. And I love how this language of being cleansed and purified is carried throughout the scriptures. 1 John chapter one, verse nine. It's a verse that you need to write down and memorize. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from what? All unrighteousness no matter what it is. Yes, there's still consequences in this life for our sin. Absolutely. But in terms of God loving you or wanting you or desiring you, he will forgive it all. So we can be close to God when we face a challenge. We can be close to God when we fail big time. And then finally, we can be close to God when we feel like life is just falling apart. Now, I already mentioned that David was a skilled musician. This was just a gift that God gave him, and God used him to write half of the Psalms. There's 150, and about 75 of them were written by him. And the Psalms are, are filled with a, a wide range of thanksgiving and praise and confession, like the one we just wrote, read. And then there's lament, lament. And whether he realized it or not, you have lamented. It's just not a word that we use. Lament is deep, deep grief, deep, deep pain. That is a lament. And many of the Psalms were lament. And I'll tell you, David had a lot to lament about. Someone tried to kill him for years. Can you imagine having that hanging over your head? Someone trying to kill you over and over again. He committed adultery. He committed murder. His family was a hot mess. If you want to feel better about your crazy family, just read more about David's family. They were a wreck. Constant battles, constant enemies. I am sure that David constantly felt like he was falling apart. So what do you do with that? What do you do with that? I want to to read another psalm, a psalm of lament from David. And it is just so raw. And I love that God doesn't edit His word. He leaves it in there. So again, I think some of you need this psalm today, this Psalm six, that God understands your pain. It says this, "Lord, do not rebuke me in your anger, do not discipline me in your wrath. Be gracious to me, Lord, for I am weak." Do any of you feel weak today? Heal me, Lord, for my bones are shaking. My whole being is shaken with terror. And you, Lord, how long? Turn, Lord, rescue me, save me because of your faithful love. For there is no remembrance of you in death. Who can thank you in Sheol? I am weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my pillow and drench my bed every night. My eyes are swollen from grief. They grow old because of all my enemies. Depart from me, all evildoers, for the Lord has heard the sound of my weeping. The Lord has heard my plea for help. The Lord accepts my prayer. All my enemies will be ashamed and shake with terror. They will turn back and suddenly be disgraced. I hope this psalm gives you confidence that when your life is falling apart, and maybe that's you right now, And it's just you in your pillow, in your bed, or it's you in a car, or it's you wherever. And you are crying, and you are in anguish, and life as you know it is falling apart, and you feel like you're at rock bottom. Claim what David said, the Lord has heard my plea for help. Now, it doesn't always mean that our circumstances change. It doesn't always mean that things magically get better, but it does mean that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. You have the king of kings and the Lord of lords close and near to you. Now, as we've established, David, though he would lament, would also be quick to praise And together today, in the room and on the other side of that camera, we're going to collectively praise God together. Because I can't think of a better response when we're facing challenges and we fail and we're falling apart to praise Him. And we're going to sing a song called, I Exalt Thee. It's simple, but it is so beautiful and this word exalt is found throughout David's psalms. And, and one of them is Psalm 145. It says this, I exalt you, my God and King, and I praise your name forever and ever. I will praise you every day. Not on the good days, not on the bad days. I will praise you every day. I will honor, I will honor your great name. And that's what I want us to do this morning. Whether you're on that mountaintop or you're in a valley facing a challenge, you have failed or you're falling apart, I want us to exalt the name of our God. And that word simply means to lift up, to elevate, to raise up the name of our great God. Let's exalt him together. Think it would be easy for you to think? You know, you're a pastor, you work at a church. You don't get it. Well, I, I have faced challenges, and I have failed, and I have had seasons where I have fallen apart. But, God, but God has been with me. I couldn't do this life without Him. And I just want to encourage you today. Whatever challenge. You're facing that you cannot see your way around. Don't forget what God has done in the past. Believe that he'll do it again. We've all failed, right? This is a great place to be if you fail because we're in the same boat. He will forgive. He will renew. He will restore. And if you feel like you're falling apart today, man, lift him up. Don't don't look at the problems and the circumstances. Keep your eyes fixed on him. And today, if you'd say, Josh, all of this sounds great, but I don't feel close to God at all because I don't think I know him. Well, as Bruce pointed out in communion, Jesus came for you. He paid the full penalty of your sins and the only response God is looking for is faith. Call out to him. Say, God, I need you. I'm a sinner. I believe what Jesus did for me and you'll be brought into the family of God. Let's pray together. God, we exalt thee. We lift your name high. God, we are broken and we are in need of you. God, I I cherish stories like David. You don't edit your word. You, You remind us that all people are messy and that life is hard. But God, just like David, you are there. You are there in our challenges. You are there in our failure. And you are there when there is no one else to turn to. Expand our faith, God. Keep our eyes fixed on you, the exalted one. In the name of Jesus, our Savior, we pray. Amen.